Welcome to Songs and Stories, a behind-the-scenes look at independent music. This time out featuring something a little different. A discussion with filmmaker Richard Newman and associate producer Barry Perlman about their new documentary, Addicted to Joy, Surfers and Shapers, the Larry Fuller Project, which features some very cool music and lots of stories. Here we go. then. Hey everyone, welcome once again to Songs and Stories. I'm Michael Gaither and this is Songs and Stories episode number 176. A wild card episode as you might have clued into. We'll talk about that in just a minute and a a very fun and kind of different for this show type of conversation. I think you're really going to dig this. This is really cool coming up in just a couple of minutes. But first of all, here's a, a quick recap on what I've been up to. Sum, summer, spring's here, and I've been busy with the new band, Michael Gaither and his new best friends. We had our official unveiling kind of debut a couple of weeks ago at Days of Wine and Wet Noses in Scotts Valley, California. It was me and Joe Block on guitar, Greg Abelard on bass, Jeff Baker on percussion, and Eliza James on harmony vocal, a full, full band, which I haven't done in a long, long time. And could not have gone any better. We joined up with the Coffus Brothers and some other folks and did a big Tom Petty tribute in the middle of the day. And um, Lori Roberts and K-Pig kind of spearheads us every year. We were honored and thrilled and just stoked to play this thing that raised $10,000 for three local rescue organizations, including Santa Cruz County Animal Shelter. So just a great day for a whole bunch of reasons. And uh, me and the band are continuing our our Santa Cruz Brewery World Tour <laughs> here this summer. We 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 played Hallcrest Winery over the weekend. We just finished playing Discretion Brewing in Capitola. On June 30th, we'll be at Santa Cruz Mountain Brewing. That's going to be a Saturday night show, big party. Back at Discretion Brewing, beginning of July, and then we're playing Still Bonnet Brewing on July 28th in Scotts Valley. And Got a bunch of pending stuff kind of for the rest of the summer. So if you get a chance, check out michaelgaither.com, click on shows. It's really fun having a band, again, especially of this caliber. And we're throwing in mostly my stuff, but, you know, there's going to be some Warren Zevon, obviously, and some other cover tunes, just stuff that's near and dear to me and the band members. So we're having a lot of fun with it. Hope you can come out and see us play. Meanwhile, back here on the podcast, there's a guy named Richard Newman I met... We talked about this. You'll hear this in the interview in a little bit, but we we probably met about four and a half years ago. I knew of him through his video work with Keith Greninger. I probably met him through the Carolyn Sills combo from Carolyn and Gerard. And we crossed paths, met, and Chris Carr was also a good mutual friend. And we crossed paths and just became instant good friends. I loved what he did. He liked what I did, which was very humbling and flattering, and it was cool. Um, Richard's got just this incredible photography, music, mixing, audio, video background. And we finally started talking about doing some video work. So if you go to my website, if you've seen the videos for Highway 17, Moving to Boise, the zombie song, all the K-Pig live stuff. There's some other live house concert things he's done for me. And just thrilled to be working with just, I'm just so happy to be working with such incredibly talented people, both on stage and then kind of behind the scenes with people like Richard. Uh, when I first met him, he was talking, he kept talking about the surf movie and 
I don't know this. I don't know surfing that well. I've always appreciated it, but he was name dropping all these people and these stories and this project he was working on. And I kept learning about it as it was going on the last several years. He finally finished it. We saw like a big public screening about a month ago. He was there with Barry Perlman, who became his associate producer a few years into the project. And it's about it's about surfing. It's about these guys that make boards just so they can keep surfing. And even though the word passion has become kind of trite these days, it's about these people that just want to do one thing and they give up everything to do it. And it's fascinating. It's inspiring, uh, educational, makes you appreciate art and wood and just following your dreams. And there's just some great stories along the way. So the film is called Addicted to Joy, Surfers and Shapers, The Larry Fuller Project. It's finished. They're doing a big showing on May 24th. If I get the date wrong, I'll put it in the blog that goes along with this podcast, which you can find at michaelgaither.com. But they're showing a, doing a big showing um, d- down south end of the month, and then they're going to start kind of shopping it around and seeing where it goes. It's a wonderful film. What we're going to hear in this interview is um, kind of one of the conversations that sort of became sort of the, the nucleus for where this thing started. Uh, Larry Fuller was a guy who had a pretty successful business in Texas and decided he didn't want to do that anymore. So he bought a van, moved west, and surfed. Um, what you're going to hear now is some music from the film from, I believe this is Ben Bonham, and then we'll segue into Larry's first story in the film, and then we'll drop in and spend about 30 minutes with Richard Newman, the visionary director, editor, everything else on this movie, and Barry Perman, his associate producer, who also plays ukulele a little bit in the movie, too, on the soundtrack. So um, here's Larry Fuller. Richard and Barry, and as always, um, if you're listening to this this podcast, um, either on Grateful Dread Radio Nashville or Casey Cafe Radio or iTunes, or you found this on my website, first of all, thank you for listening. Second of all, you can go to michaelgaither.com and look up Songs and Stories number 176, and there's links to go with all this, including the trailer for the film, the wonderful poster that Richard put together, and some other links to some of these people that, that are in the movie. I'm going to put links and hyperlinks into the blog that goes with Songs and Stories 176. That said, here's Larry Fuller, then we'll talk to Richard and Barry. Here we go. political intrigue in this story. Um, my, uh, 
my car was on its last legs in Houston. And I had already made kind of a mental decision that I wanted to stop doing the commercial real estate and do something different. Are there other decisions other than mental? No. Oh, okay. And, uh, in Texas? Oh, there's emotional. Yeah. This there's was emotional. Physical. There's okay, physical good. where Thank your you. body goes, yeah. right. Gotta have it. Gotta have it. I'm with her. Yes. Thanks for clearing that up <laughs> So uh, I, uh, I looked all around Houston, couldn't find anything. And, uh, uh, the girl in the office where I got a bunch of my mail, uh, I told her, you know, hey, I'm trying to find a van. And, you know, she said, well, let me look online. You know, I've got some free time during the day. I look online. So she called me and she said, hey, there's a really nice, there's a really nice van in College Station. And I said, Monster with ham. Yep. That's me. Yep. Uh, yeah, I had ham, yeah. Monster biscuit. Regular monster biscuit? And, uh... Give me the tray. Right, or... No, I don't think so. Oh, okay. So... Uh, yeah, we'll take some ketchup. Yeah, please. Ketchup and hot So... I saw this... Printed out a picture of this thing and the info on it, and I said, wow, that sounds pretty fucking cool. So, I called the guy and said, yeah, I'm really interested in the man, and I'd like to maybe come out and see yours. And he said, oh, man, he said, I'm so sorry. He said, I just now sold it. I went, oh, damn. So she kept looking, and then she found something. She said, well, there's a car dealership up in uh, in Cedar Falls. No, in Cedar Park, Texas, which is outside Austin and Marble Falls. And uh, they have a diesel van. And I said, well, that might be cool. So I called the people at the dealership. They said, yeah, we have it. I said, well, tell me a little about it. And they said, well, it's got about, I think, 20-some thousand miles on it and belonged to a church. And I said, oh, that's interesting. What church did it belong to? And he said, uh, uh, Cedar Park Hilltop Baptist Temple. I said, oh, okay. I said, I'm going to come up and take a look at it. So that night I left Houston about uh, 3 in the morning, drove up to Austin. It's about a three-hour drive. I got there about 6 or 6.30 because I wasn't in a hurry. And, uh, I was, the dealership didn't open until 9. And so I remembered that he said Cedar Park, Hilltop Baptist Temple. So I'd seen the church driving by. I said, oh, I'm going to stop at the church and see why they sold the van. What was wrong? And so I pulled in, and the assistant minister was there, and I introduced myself and said, how can I help you? And I said, I interested about why he sold this van. He said, well, we had eight of them and the federal government changed the guidelines for transporting children, so we had to get rid of them. And we sold six to members in the congregation. We had this diesel one that nobody in the congregation really wanted because it was diesel. And uh, so we sold it back to the place that we bought them from. I said, that's it? He said, yeah, that's it. I said, they're pretty well taken care of. He said, I'm a motorhead in addition to being assistant pastor. And I took care of all of them. I've come from a car background. He said, they're right. And I said, oh, cool. So um, by that time, the pastor comes in. And so I get introduced, and he says, what are you doing here? And the guy tells him, and he said, oh, really? He said, how much are they asking for that van? And I told him, and he went, huh? Uh -huh. And it was like shock. And so... He said, well, he said, you know, there were eight vans in our fleet, 
and he said, we kept one of them. And it is uh, 1995. It has uh, about 30,000 miles on it. And he said, uh, if you're interested, I'll make you a deal at a little bit better price than the diesel, like four, th four grand cheaper than the diesel. And I said, well, let me see it. And I went and looked at it, and I said, wow, this thing is really cool, because it was really clean then. <laughs> and uh, so I said, okay. I said, uh, I only got a hundred, couple hundred dollars. I said, you take a hundred dollars and a handshake for me buying it, provided I get a guy to come look at it and tell me that it checks out. And he said, yeah. So I had a guy call a guy, and he came out and checked the van. Said, van's perfect, dude. Nothing, nothing at all wrong with this van. It's a great buy. So I bought it, and uh, that's how I became known as the preacher. Pulled up in Cardiff uh, when I first got out there, and there's two ends of the parking lot at Cardiff. One is for like regular beach goers, and the north end was for what they called at that time the get some crew was all the surfers that were smoking and drinking at eight in the morning and surfing and having a good time. So when I pulled up, they all kind of, and I didn't know where they were, so I just pulled on the their side. <clears throat> they were giving me this like, not stink eye, but you know, who are you? So I did that for about a week. And one day, the guy that was uh, kind of like the head get some guy, Captain Ron, an old Marine sniper, happened to come from the bathrooms and walk by me. And I had just come from the liquor store and got a six pack of Sierra Nevada, a pack of cigarettes. And I <clears throat> was opening a beer and smoking a cigarette. And he walked by and looked in the window at me and saw that, stepped in front of the van where all the boys were sitting around this kind of semicircle. And he said, he's no preacher, he's one of us. <laughs> That's how it got started. So we're finally going to do this. Yeah, here we go. So normally I talk to musicians, which I still am, but it's a whole different topic this time. I've got Richard Newman. Hey, buddy. And Barry Perlman. Hey, buddy. Hi, Michael. Um, talking about a film called... Uh, Addicted to Joy, Surfers and Shapers, The Larry Fuller Project. Quite a lengthy title. But it covers it, and I've seen it, and it's an amazing movie. Thank you. And... Um, if I, if I recap the story correctly, well, first of all, I'll probably talk about this in the intro, but I met Richard, probably heard of him through Keith Graniger, I think met you through Carol and Sills. We crossed paths and became like instant good friends a few years ago, and you've done a bunch of video work for me, with me, together. Um, Highway 17, the zombie, the zombie, the, the zombie. moving to Boise now. And that shed is actually called the zombie shed now. Everybody yeah. prefers it as the zombie shed. <laughs> and a bunch of stuff at K-Pig, and we have more stuff in the works. So um, I heard about this project when, not when I met you, I think. And then I just kind of kept kind of... Four and a half, four and a half years we've, yeah. been, we've been doing it. So yeah. I think that's about the our length of time that we've known each other. And, yeah. and, and uh, you probably heard it right at the very beginning when it was much different. When, it was, when, when its name was The Honey Line. That's right. When no one would have ever figured out what that was. Yeah. And I like descriptive titles, so the more you put in, just remove any doubt, you know. It, 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 it does, it is the project. Mm-hmm. It's not Larry's story. It's Larry's project. Yeah, yeah. And Surfers and Shapers 
are completely intermingled. Mm -hmm. And what you see after 300 plus hours of interviews <laughs> is that they're all addicted to a lifestyle that allows them to be to do what that makes them happy. Right. And what a, what a not what a not bad way to live. Yeah. You know? um, no, no tall building workers here. You know. Right. Um, right. It's it's very. Um, they make boards so they can surf. Mm -hmm. And if the surf's good, they don't make boards. Right. You know. Right. So nature kind of drives their lifestyle. You know. And, we have Timmy Patterson, who's a fourth generation his son now is fourth generation shaper uh -huh. um, from down in uh, Dana Point and Timmy says I've never worked a day in my life I built surfboards and Timmy's in his mid-50s wow yeah. and I think um, I, I remember because I, mean, I know how, how all-encompassing this project's been because we've been in contact about this for four and a half years and there were times where I'd work I had a song and I wanted a video to go with it and you, and you would say yeah, I need a break from this. Yeah, let's go. Let's work on one of your videos because you just had to like get away from it for a little bit and then come back to it. And um, what was I going to say too? Did this did this really start as you were going to go photograph a surfboard? I was with Carolyn. I right, was, Carolyn I was, Sills. Yeah. I was at um, Keith Graninger's studio, mm -hmm. and I was working on a video for Carolyn for the Carolyn Sills band. And this little guy came up to me and. We were looking at the surfboards in the uh, ceiling. Right. And this is at so, Chuck Pyle's house. Yeah. The, yeah. And, and Which is a work of art in itself as well. Exactly. Right. And this little guy with white hair, didn't had never met him, came up to me and he said, I need these things photographed. Mm -hmm. And I went, holy shit, I'm rich. Because the hardest thing in the world to photograph is something skinny, reflective, and odd-sized. Mm-hmm. And it would have taken weeks to do the project, and I can see that wow, this is I'm going to really have a good time. And Chuck said, "Well, why don't you come over?" This was on a Wednesday, and Chuck said, "Come over on Friday and let's have lunch." Mm -hmm. And I did. And at that time, he told me the story of Larry. And on Monday, we were in a rental car going to Southern California to meet Larry and start doing interviews. Right. And talk about Larry a little bit for people who might not know. He's a was a quite an involved person in a very high level in Houston, and in 1997, I think, or 95, decided that he wasn't happy mm -hmm. and closed the business on a weekend. A multi-million dollar business closed it on a weekend, and he bought a Ford F-150 van painted Aggie orange with Hilltop Baptist Temple on the side and moved into it and moved to Southern California for three years uh, and surfed mm -hmm. and did nothing but surf and about three years into it some guy came up to him and said you can't surf all the time and he said why not I am and I am <laughs> and he said you need a job sometimes and that guy turned out to be Jim Phillips mm -hmm. um, the called the genius in surfing world um, uh, Jimmy was a world champion came from the East Coast and is quite um, quite renowned in shapers and uh, went to work for him and fell in love with building surfboards decided that 
he was going to build them with other shapers and then went on a quest to find wood, yeah. which he found up here in Southern California, or Northern California mm-hmm. in, in Santa Cruz. Um, Larry carried around a stick in his van, about a foot and a half long, and about four inches wide, maybe that big, of a piece of wood, mm-hmm. until he found where the wood came from. Really? Yes. And what kind of wood was it? It's giant sequoia. Yeah. And he yeah. carried this this piece of wood around in the van that he lives in. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Truly lives in. He carried this stick around for eight years until he found the distri- the, the person that had harvested the tree. Right. Um, we have a pretty inter- interesting interview with Jan Peterson, uh-huh. the harvester of the tree, in, yeah. um, uh, in this in the film. Wow. And so for somebody who like maybe just sees, you know, factory made foam boards at Costco, talk about the wood and the shaping. That's the heart of the film. I mean, that was just amazing. Well, some of the wood comes from the Mirasu, uh, first Mirasu wine tanks, mm-hmm. uh, first commercial vine- uh, vineyard in the United States. Uh, some comes from Southern California from the Joe Felipe Vineyards, which is the only continuous vineyard through Prohibition because they made sacramental wine. Um, and some's from the giant sequoia. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have uh, what's the hickory berry? What, what hickory do we have? We have the um, we have some. It's a lot of wood. Yeah. Uh, everything very very rare. Agave stringers. Agave stringers, balsa and agave. Balsa and agave. Yeah. There, and you you co- you covered so much in the movie. It was just, and the woods beautiful. That that and they, you know, coming from we were, we were joking about my corporate job earlier, but you know, I almost hate to use the, use the word passion anymore because corporate's kind of like you know appropriated that. But the passion these people have for for, for surfing and, and making these boards by hand and shaping and that that's that's their complete life. It's just, it's it's incredible and inspiring. We do. It seems that. <clears throat> All of the shapers mm-hmm. emerge from the population of surfers. Mm-hmm. And in reading the water and reading the wind, you get this uncanny feeling of what's to be done and what design board you might choose for those conditions. So each of these very experienced surfers goes into shaping with his own personal sense mm-hmm. of how he would design it to handle the wave. Therefore, in the world of shapers, everyone has their own designs and <clears throat> have characteristics in their boards that are for certain types of waves. So we've heard reference by some of the surfers like Derek Dorner, world champion in our mm-hmm. movie, talking about his quiver of boards and which board he would select from the quiver to match the wave. So certain boards for certain conditions, and they build certain boards knowing they're going to be used under certain conditions. And perhaps one could say that even where the surfer lived and the water that was native to him might influence the design. So an Australian board might be very different than a Hawaiian board Mm -hmm. or a Southern California board or a Northern California board. Wow. All the breaks are 
every break, every every wave different. Mm-hmm. You know, every 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 break different. So they have gotten to that spot and right. All that really came about, and we do do talk a little bit about the history of the Hawaiian history of it. Right, right. You know that that it came from it came from that that rather than redesign a board, they should have probably learned how to ride the wave on that board, but they just kept tweaking the the boards mm-hmm. to match the as Barry said, as match match the waves and the local waves and things like that. It. Yeah, I never thing, knew that. One, one thing that you see is is that we do a foam board start to finish mm-hmm. we do it time lapse and it, it, it elapsed time. that was a great sequence uh, yeah. uh, the, the elapsed time for that was 90 minutes for him to to shape a foam board we think it's pretty revealing and gives you an overview of the entire process right and i forget the builder's name but you said he's never, he's it, never it, seen it, himself build a board before nick right? Pelladrani and yeah. the build the the, the, the the company is source. Yeah, um, his his his, uh, his shaping is. is he sure didn't know how fast he was. <laughs> no, that was quick. <laughs> uh, but when we look at a when we look at a wood board, minimal time for construction mm-hmm. because of the amount of work into it. Minimal time is eight months, and w- the boards with Rusty Pressendorfer have been in process for over eight years. Yeah, and they're just works of art. They're beautiful. Everyone. My wife, Cindy, was talking, we were talking about later. It's like watching these guys make guitars in the certain kind of woods they use. It's the same, it's the same passion about the craft, and you're building, you're building, you know, guitars for certain tones, you're building boards for certain conditions. We, we have a, um, a really interesting, um, the boards have a very interesting life coming up. They will be at San Francisco Air, mm-hmm. which is the San Francisco Museum of Arts Annex at the International Terminal SFO. And it will open January first. Oh, nice! And be there for six months. Yeah. They anticipate eight million views. It's wow. ninety feet of board, glass cases, and then a fourteen by fourteen by thirty foot glass case in the center mm-hmm. of the terminal that will have wow. the Hawaiian wow. stuff, and it'll be absolutely stunning. And people coming into San Francisco from everywhere in the world will be like. Well, welcome to California. Right. Here <laughs> you are. Staggering, overwhelming um, exhibit. It, it's uh, been in the works May last year. Really? And just now really coming around and coming, nice. to, coming to life. And the screening we saw was at the skate shop in Santa Cruz, Capitola. The boardroom. The boardroom board on 41st. I think that was the first... Like big public screening, you did. we just happened to hear about it. Yeah, first time that more than five people. Saw right, them. right, right. And who, who was the shaper who was sitting there with his son? Tell me that. Tell that, that was Nick Pellegrini. I thought so. Tell that story. It, 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 and Nick, Nick called me the next day after that, and he said, "The guy who I, shaped the foam board on the time lapse sequence." Right. He said, "I've never seen myself shaped before," as Barry said, and, and he said it, it was really amazing and. I was completely transfixed by it because it's a complete dance. It's a ballet. The feeder is just as involved as his hands are and his, yeah, and his yeah. eyes and everything. And hands never leave the boards. You know, he's always constantly touching the board and mm-hmm. feeling the board, engaging the board and all that. And he had his, his son with him. And um, when Nick came up on the screen, his son looked up at him and went, Dad, is that you? And, and his son is how old? Eight? Eight or nine, yeah, yeah I believe. And, and when he got home that night, all he could talk about was... Uh, the ocean and, and surfing and, and surfboards and 
He said he got up the next morning and he said, Dad, when we get back from spring break, can we build a surfboard together? <laughs> <laughs> you were probably, I think you were in tears. Yeah, it broke my heart right there. Yeah, <laughs> Thank you very much. Yeah. Thank you. I love that. You made the you whole know? four and a half years worth it. Yeah, yeah, it sure does. Yeah, and you've got more to do. I, I like a comment you made that night, too, that you, you kind of had the film sort of in a semi-finished state and realized you didn't have any women in it because they weren't. They were shaping boards. So you kind of went back and did some interviews. And we did. And as we... Which I really like because it really kind of balanced it out a little bit. As we did those interviews, and we Uh had interviewed um, Kathy Connor Zuckerman, Mm -hmm. who is the original diary keeper on which the movie Gidget was based on. Correct. We cannot use Gidget in the film because of licensing. And we have to use her married name, but it is true. But that's who it is. It is true. It's <laughs> yeah. truly Gidget. Quite, and quite simply, Kathy Conner Zuckerman's father, mm-hmm. Frederick Conner, authored the book Gidget in 1958. Got it. Yeah. And she was a... Gidget refers, refers to girl midget. That's a politically correct thing. Not right socially proper now, but that's what the really? nickname was based on in the 50s. Had no idea. In the culture and, of the 50s. And what and what we found as talking to her was that, and I'd never even thought about this, the boards were too heavy for him to move. The wood boards from the 50s were just too heavy for mm-hmm. for. Smaller. This is back in the days of big boards too. Smaller wooden, yeah. wooden, big wooden boards right. were just too big. And then, as the airline industry developed and foam became better and better and better, the boards got lighter and lighter and lighter. Ah. And then all of a sudden, you see the whole the revolution from '62 when Endless Summer hits and Bruce mm-hmm. Brown's film goes 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 nuts, and surfing is legitimized, not from being bums and stuff that are sneaking into your yard but to actual wow you know they were oh they're it's gidget you know i mean it's yeah. it's yeah, everybody wants to be that um bruce brown had the film in all over the country mm-hmm. dragging the film around the country and um surfing was cool and the boards got smaller fast right uh, joyce hoffman first woman actually the first sponsored surfer outside the surfing industry she was sponsored by Bonnie Bell and Triumph mm. Motor Cars, mm-hmm. where everybody would be like, you know, you'd be on the Duke team and they'd give you boards and stuff like that. But it was always within the realm of the surfing, the industry. surfing, whatever industry, it was whatever it, business it was. It was at it that was time. At that time right. Yeah, right. and but that, it was contained within its own culture, subculture, the subculture of surfing, right. whatever right. products were sold right. or what there were some insightful. Some insightful marketers mm-hmm. in the greater world of merchandise, automobile merchandising, Triumph sports cars, gave her a personality car that had two red stripes. Uh, and when she went around the world to go to international meets, they would ship a Triumph identical to hers to that location. And she would drive around in it in Hawaii, in Branding. Australia. Branding. In Australia, yeah. Branding yeah. Triumph. She had to carry a longboard in the back of the car <laughs> required. Crazy. Yeah, yeah. But, but so the women actually, and then we used uh, Leanne Graves, who's um, from Bodega Bay, uh, grew up up there, but surfed Santa Cruz a lot. Um, Leanne's in her 70s right now, and she really 
was there in 62, 63, 64 mm -hmm. when surfing really got started. And I think she brings a very interesting voice. Uh, um, so yeah, we did add we did add some we did add some women, and I, we probably added some controversy in that area. But I just like it gave it a lot more breadth as, as far as the history. I mean, which I mean, you probably named her. Which one was it that said? I'm paraphrasing, but I was going to be good at some sport. I that just was just, Joyce Hoffman. Yeah, she was yeah. just like so determined. She didn't care about the fierce competitor. Yeah, she didn't really care about the board. She's just like, I just need a board. I'm going to go surfing. Now she, she didn't care about the zen of it. And, right, right. And there's a lot of the, you know, there's a lot of the zen of it, you know. Yeah. And 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 we've got some pretty big. You covered you covered like all the facets of it really well by including those other interviews too. Yeah. Well, with Jerry Lopez and then somebody who's really mentored me through it, Paul Strau, mm -hmm. um, who was on Duke's team in '63 and '64, and yeah. you know this is wow, <laughs> this is pretty incredible. Uh, the thing is, a lot of folks take the surfing world as one thing mm -hmm. and it's actually a very multi-tiered multi-layered complex culture mm -hmm. uh, often referred to as a tribe but it's really an entire species of american culture unto itself mm -hmm. and it's no one thing yeah and it's ageless you've got three-year-olds to 83-year-olds doing doing it yeah yeah Brenny yater in the film, Rennie's 86 or 87 now, and every year he goes to Baja and surfs by himself for three weeks. Wow. Wow. I want to be that guy. Yeah. <laughs> <You know? laughs> no. I want to be 87 and surfing for three weeks by yeah, myself. Yeah. Richard, know? didn't Rennie Yater build the Apocalypse board? What was the Apocalypse board? It was the board that Robert Duvall surfed in the movie Apocalypse yeah. Now. It was a Rennie Yater oh, board. Oh, like the Apocalypse It board. sold for $250,000. Wow. The apocalypse board. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Rennie's boards are Rennie's boards are extremely valuable. It must have been really hard to take four and a half years of work and could, and really edit it down into one film. You know, it, it's funny, but I got a comment on Sunday after after the after the uh, after the showing, and they said it's too long. Your, hmm. your interviews are too long, and they said, you know, one thing that became very clear to me at the very beginning is that I was talking to legends yeah and I was talking to the seed and I was talking to the origins and I took a very strong responsibility to not you were archiving with stuff I am and yeah. and, and, and and very strong responsibility to not it wasn't like give me a soundbite it was like tell me your story and not make them into a soundbite right, right. Um, to give them enough respect yeah and We've been told it's edited brilliantly, so I'll I'll go with that. You know, I'll, well, you know, I'll hang that. Me and my wife Cindy too. I mean, I love the ocean. I don't surf. I used to boogie board, but I just I I love learning about it. But for me, I think it was the right length. It was. I, I felt like I watched a whole film with a lot of a lot of depth to it, but it wasn't too long. No, it's not. It's and I not. think if it was like an hour, I would have wanted to see more. I think it's a good length. We we, we initially released it. Um, the first year we went into festivals, we released it at 65 minutes. Mm -hmm. And through turns of events, we were introduced to a very large Hollywood producer who 
immediately said add 20 minutes to make it like a typical feature immediately length. said yeah. you need 20 minutes on here mm-hmm. he said if you can get 25 whatever he said but you need to 20 minutes and that is it also at like 90 87 what, what is it? it it runs 85 okay it runs right. 85 and um, we feel that that's pretty pretty good for a, for a documentary sure um, that's not an hour and a half right you know it's yeah. it's it's less than an hour and a half and and um, longer than a TV episode it allowed right? us yeah. it allowed us to also expand the women right to bring the women in it, it right. gave us that that opportunity and also to do things like the phone board mm-hmm you know to fluff it up a little bit to actually try to make it a little bit more accessible because yeah. it's very inside the ropes right Right, right. You know, you're in the red ropes, and it, when yeah. you're watching this, it's you're totally inside, inside. It's totally inside baseball. You're yeah. inside baseball. You are in there. Yeah. You, 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 you're with the, you're with the seeds. Yeah. Go ahead. Get a the insights that are offered uh, by our shapers, uh, it's a privilege to. The movie's very transparent. The movie is very immediate. You think you're in the room with them. Uh-huh. The techniques that Richard used in filming, in taking his high-level, professional, long career and, and putting it all into this, there is no distance between you and the person speaking. Right. So you feel like you're in a conversation with them. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like attending an 85-minute cocktail party where you are floating every three minutes to the next guest Very honor. cool conversation. <laughs> yeah, and I think the fact that it wasn't like cut down into sound bites, it has that feeling. Yeah, yeah it's supposed to be um, an easy watch. We uh-huh. hope we've achieved an easy watch. We hope that people will relax in their chair and just, you know, have a sip of beer or lemonade mm-hmm. and enjoy themselves. And then watch yeah. it again. <laughs> <laughs> and tell their friends. Yeah. And tell their friends. And like we, it on Facebook. Yeah. And, we also um, had the privilege of having some fantastic music. I would, that was my next question. So talk about the music. Yeah. Um, we're very, very fortunate on the music, and, and the music just kind of music just kind of landed uh, for us. Um, first of all, Barry Barry plays Barry any ukulele you hear on it. That's Barry playing it, mm-hmm. um, and. We have uh, from Santa Cruz, Patty Maxine. Can't go wrong with Patty Maxine. Uh, and we did Patty in two different sessions. We mm-hmm. produced two different sessions of Patty because there was really two different cuts of the film. Sure. And when we went into the second part of it, we realized that we needed some more Patty. Mm-hmm. And then um, from a, a job that I did up in in Portland, I was introduced to Ben Bonham mm-hmm. and Jamie Stillway. And either Ben or Ben's band um, from Bend, Ben from Bend, um, and Jamie from Portland uh, provide do most of the heavy lifting for the surf punk rock side of things on mm-hmm. its slide Hawaiian crazy acid music. Uh, Create some excitement to go with the waves. Oh yeah. yeah, build up some the strong music's emotion. Yeah. The music is the music is really wonderful, yeah. and um, we have a soundtrack, mm-hmm. you know, that we, we could pull out of it yeah. easily. But um, the music was music's really important. Um, it gives your brain a rest, right. right? You know, from all the 
visual inputs, maybe you can just kind of sit back. I, mm -hmm. Or it supports what you're listening to, depending on the theme and the mood. And you know, I, I still cry at certain aspects <laughs> of it when I go when I go to a cut and see it and hear the and hear, hear Patty slide in. Boy, oh boy. Yeah. And this is kind of a backwards part for the interview, but talk about your background, Richard. I mean, I know it, but you know, podcast listener probably doesn't. Um, grew up in Chicago. Um, went to school with uh, Jim Belushi mm -hmm. on a duet acting team and moved to South Dakota in 71 and lived there between there and Boulder until 79. I moved to New York and did a one-year apprentice mm -hmm. at Hit Factory uh, with um, clients from Paul Simon to the Rolling Stones and then went to LA for a convention and had some Thai food and <laughs> realized I didn't want to live in New York anymore. <laughs> Moved to Los Angeles, met my current wife, mm -hmm. um, did everything from record plants to films to, as a technician, mixer, mm -hmm. uh, Y1, um, audio mixer, and moved here in 95 and went to work for a company in the Midwest as their media producer. Mm -hmm. Did that for 20 years until I got involved on this. Mm -hmm. And it's been four and a half years since then. Yeah. So my first, although it's, I've written three books and, and done God knows how many videos, my first real project that I've had control of. Yeah. So pretty exciting. Nice. Frightening. <laughs> terrifying. Yeah. Uh, not a lot of perspective sometimes. Uh, Barry's been a, a real... Um, shining star in coming in in the last year and a half and right. really providing perspective and creativity and input and, yeah and, and then and there how'd you get involved with this well uh, uh, 10 years ago when I was general manager at Renaissance Guitar Company in Santa Cruz big stout good-looking happy guy Larry Fuller walked into <laughs> our guitar shop mm. and he said, Larry, forgive me for the accent, but Larry said, I hear y'all have this beautiful spotted wood. I hear that you guys are the source for the spotted wood, something local. And we said, yes, that's spalted Santa Cruz sycamore. And it comes from Bonnie Dune. And we'll be happy to share our resource with you because he has plenty of this beautiful spalted mm. sycamore. Mm -hmm. And Larry came back about a month later with a set of surfboard fins made out of the sycamore. They wow. were just beautiful, and they were raw wood. Yeah. And he said, well, I wonder if y'all could do your kind of guitar finish on them. Hmm. Forgive me, Larry. And <laughs> we said, well, we'd be happy to. What a, what a splendid little project. So we did some polyester coats uh -huh. on these beautiful sycamore fins. Next thing, Larry came back with a sycamore board, wanted us to finish it. Okay? Well, I lived in Pleasure Point for 30 years, so being one of the surfing neighborhoods prominent in Northern California, Larry would hang out in the neighborhood, and over the years, Larry and I were able to maintain our friendship. Mm -hmm. After we'd gone through our experience, we'd run into each other at the gym, at the liquor store. And you probably had tons of friends in common. Oh, yeah. Sure. See him on the street, see him at the beach. Yeah. And Larry told me about his project and about a movie being made of it. Mm. 
Well, let's segue. I had the privilege to attend a house concert at the home of Chuck Pyle, mm -hmm. one of our wood providers who right. lives up in Happy Valley. I recorded there, yeah. And I went to see, beautiful show, an old friend of mine, Mark Goldenberg, playing with a new friend of mine, Eric Skye. Mm -hmm. And as I walked in, gentleman asserted himself as host to make us comfortable. Richard Newman came over. He was videotaping the concert mm -hmm. and said, welcome, please come in. We're glad to have you. Sit down. <laughs> Next thing I know, Larry's patting me on the back and I'm kind of wondering why I'm in a room with Mark Goldenberg and Richard Newman and Larry Fuller and this is too crazy. And the next thing mm. I know, I'm invited to a viewing of the movie. <laughs> so out of that viewing, we shared some opinions and chat about it. And Richard invited me in. Yeah. And it's been really an amazing privilege. <laughs> an amazing privilege. It's like, help me get through this. <laughs> well, actually, we did a lot of brainstorming. It was a lot uh, of fun. When, when, at the end of a film, there's 500 names. Yeah, yeah. And at the end of this film, there's four or five. Right, I know. <laughs> <laughs> and yeah. when you're when you're doing everything and 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 when it's all on your shoulders, I think it. I don't. I don't see how anybody could do it by themselves. Right, right. This is a huge project. It's a huge project. Yeah. And your perspective and and your removal of yourself from the project is. It's even like when I'm, when I'm writing or editing or something, whether it's for songwriting or the, the job that pays for the other job, it's like second pair of eyes on something. You know, you need to have somebody, can you take a look at this? Always. Can you take yeah, a look at this? And it's got to be, and it's got to be very, um, it's got to be a very honest relationship. Yeah. It's got to be a very open relationship and it's got to be a very trusting relationship because you might say something that is, appear to be the wrong thing, but you don't know why you said it. Yeah, you know, and it's just because that's it, the whole movie has made itself. Mm -hmm. Every time that we've tried to direct it, it's stopped and gone a different direction. It tells us what to do next. We we we've absolutely known that, and it and it became very evident. Like songs sometimes do. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Yeah. They, 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 or any creative project, if it's like if it's going. Where if, it doesn't really want to go, it, it if you're listening. Well, you yeah. know, there's nothing more creative than life. Right, life itself is the most creative thing in the world. And in the film, Jan Peterson, who harvested the largest giant sequoia ever to be felled in the world, at any time by in the hand, future, by hand, uh, the tree fell down in 1964 and was harvested starting in 1978. And Jan wow. talks about the forest. He lived in the forest for years working on this tree. Mm -hmm. And he talks about the tree and he says that if the tree wants to do something, it's going to do it. Mm. And the tree interacts with the air and the light. That was and kind it has of a, a life of That's its own. Right. It yeah. was in the movie. Yeah. And it really represents everything that happened from the tree to the making of right. the movie. I think that there's been, I think there, when we had our Hollywood guy, Ben Shields Calton, thank you very much, Ben. <laughs> when we had Ben first look at the film, Ben came back with his notepad and he had nine quotes written down. 
mm. from the film. Mm -hmm. And he said, these are really great. He said, and he had, and he had singled out nine quotes. And, sure. and, and I think that there's, if there's anything in the film, there's three things. And that's stay constant, stay aware, and let let somebody else drive because mm -hmm. the movie's driving. Um, Derek Dorner saying, "If you really want to find the magic, you got to put in your time." Mm -hmm. And Wayne Lynch saying, "If you don't understand your history and you don't know your culture, you end up with chaos." Right. Which applies to a whole lot of things lately. We we're not gonna. When that quote came out, my city looked at her. She's like, "Uh huh, yeah." But but you, when you can simplify it to your eye and your feet at the end of the board and the water coming up, yeah, it's yeah. just uh, refined down to essence. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So for the film, now that it's it's finished at eighty five minutes, you've got a big showing at the end of the month. We're at we're at we're at uh, Surfing Heritage and Cultural Center in. Um, San Clemente mm -hmm. on May 24th. Uh, I feel it's kind of like opening your band at Carnegie Hall. Right. This is the most prestigious surf museum in the world. I'm beyond honored. Um, we have a panel of nine of the people in the film that night wow. that are going to be there before. So we'll have an hour and a half panel and then we'll show the film at oh 7 30. So um, we're really excited about that. Um, and. What's next after that is hard to say. Mm -hmm. Distribution is changing daily. Right, right, right. We're becoming well-educated in the various streams of distribution. I was going to say the different channels, and they're, That's yeah, right. they're, they're That's all right. changing. And, they're and, all... Right, and right now, we're considering the value of um, putting this puppy up on iTunes and selling it for nineteen ninety-five. Mm -hmm. And we're looking at small theater distribution mm -hmm. for independent theaters that specialize in one-night showings of art films. Right. Maybe a little ten-city tour. Uh -huh. we, we've had a very interesting is in Paul Strau. He's Paul was with Bruce Brown when Bruce did Endless Summer, mm -hmm. and Paul has kind of tried to hug me and say, "This is how Bruce did it." Ah. Uh. This is how it'll work. Right, right. And yet we're 50 years past. Sure. So the challenge has been to translate all that wonderful knowledge and firsthand experience to where does it go today? Yeah, yeah. What, and this is me be, be, being naive on this, on this particular part, but like when they show a surf film at the Rio and those, 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 those films do a tour, is that kind of what you're talking about? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Going after the same typical kind of audience and uh, you know, small we could theaters. we could we could hit eight venues up and down the coast of California, sure, very uh, easily. Yeah, you know, and um, oh, there's beautiful small theaters in towns like Tahoe City. Oh right, oh right. yeah, just yeah. charming, charming dream yeah. theater there. Uh, the little guy in Monterey, you know, the, mm -hmm. um, there's there they the options are the options are there. That's an expensive trip to market. Mm -hmm. You know that's a that's an expensive way to go. We yeah. we know that we probably won't make a lot of DVDs. Right. We know that the market will want to probably watch it on a pad or a phone, mm -hmm. and they'll probably want to own it. Unless, of course, someone 
approaches us right who wants to pick it up has a vision right has a vision for how to use the movie this movie could be a tool for a to 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 make a statement for a commercial endeavor about their environmental attitude Mm -hmm. so um, there are companies out there whether they be water sports companies or um, for all we know maybe uh, maybe a logging firm would want to buy this movie it's going to be very personal mm-hmm. it's going yeah. to be a right. someone right. If, if someone sees a vision for this movie it's going to be their vision mm-hmm. and so what we have is a finished movie we have 400 hours of amazing interview footage right we have a sound <laughs> track we're shaking his head just going yeah i got 400 hours that i've looked at we have a, probably um, 400 times uh, <laughs> Don't cry. Richard developed, Richard developed <laughs> an absolutely beautiful poster uh-huh. with just lovely graphics. Yeah. And so we've, we're working on a lot, some collateral material to accompany yeah. the movie. Yeah. <laughs> He's sinking in his chair. <laughs> and uh, it's been an exhausting experience, Michael, I can tell you that. I'll bet. You know? I'll bet. Here, I didn't mention this to you, but here's what happened this morning. Michael, Michael asked me to pull some audio out uh, some of the music out of the film for, for this for, for this podcast for this podcast and as I went to open up the program I looked at the beginning of it and it's edited in Premiere Pro mm-hmm. you know and and I looked at the beginning of it and everything looked good and I went down to the end and I played it and it was kind of like I thought well I'm going to take out this I'm going to just make a little fix here and I, all of a sudden Kelly Slater's picture comes up and it's not supposed to be and mm. I went, huh? And the program had literally corrupted oh. and written itself over at 16 seconds. And there was about an hour when I was so deep in my Google Drive in terms of backups that I was pretty terrified that I looked at it and said, okay, I have a copy. I have this that I can show right now. Mm-hmm. But uh, we're back. Good. Yeah, we're back. All's well. <laughs> All smiles now. Everything's fine. Yes, everything's fine. Finished. My wife just, I texted her and I said, I have a huge problem with the file. And she texted me back and said, I'm in fire training. Call you in a minute. And she called and she said, what's going on? And I explained it and she just texted me back and said, calm, present, strong. Yeah. Calm, strong, yeah. present. Just chant that and yeah. be fine. Just think clearly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and with, with that, so the film's back think, so you can go out and show it. So everything's fine. The film's fun, back. So. We're showing it. Well, best of luck. I love the movie. I can't wait to see it again. And Thank you. Thank thanks you, for your time, guys, and best of luck. Great. Yeah, thanks. Yeah. Once again, Richard Newman and Barry Perlman talking about Addicted to Joy, Surfers and Shapers, The Larry Fuller Project, which you can find uh, a few places. Facebook.com, you can look up Surfers and Shapers. And on my site, michaelgaither.com, you can look for Songs of Stories 176, Surfers and Shapers. And all the information is up there, the trailer, the poster art, a bunch of links to these people they were talking about. So do check it out. Keep an eye out for it, and you never know where it might end up. 
um, in a theater or otherwise. There's a lot of ways to deliver a movie these days, and uh, we have our fingers crossed. So great couple of guys. Love these two and love working with Richard, and there's more video work from me coming up with him. And um, it's a great film. It's very inspiring. Check it out. And as always, whether you heard this on Casey Cafe Radio, Grateful Dead Radio Nashville, iTunes, the Stitcher app, my site, michaelgaither.com, where you found this on Twitter or Facebook or somewhere on the interwebs. Thank you for listening and being interested in these artists. I mean, this was a film interview, which was really fun, but it's nice to shake things up once in a while. Coming up next on Songs and Stories, I think we're going to finally have the Coffus Brothers back. Speaking of Days and Wine and Wet Noses about half an hour ago, uh, I've been talking to Jamie and Kellen about coming back on. They were on here when they first started kind of really playing, and they've been just out there playing and touring with this great band, Kicking Butt, and Jamie's actually now a DJ on K-Pig Radio, too, so we have a lot to talk about. They have a new album that's just wonderful. I think it's their fourth. So probably coming up in several weeks or so, we'll be talking to the Coffus Brothers. In the meantime, do check out my website, michaelgaythrew.com. Me and my new best friends are out playing. There's information about Servers and Shapers and all the previous podcasts are up there, too. So Thank you for listening, downloading, streaming. Appreciate your time and interest in these artists. Whatever you're out there doing, please uh, keep doing it. Take care, and we'll talk to you next time on Songs and Stories. Thanks.